This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. In Genesis 22.5, Genesis 22.5, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you, he said that. And so Christ asked the disciples, abide ye here. Well, Christ went yonder, a little bit farther away, to pray. But he doesn't leave all the disciples there to wait. He turns now to three of his disciples, and he calls those three, you come with me. In verse 37, verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He could have called all the disciples to go with them to the place where he's gonna pray, but he didn't. He didn't call them all, he just called the three. He took the three, uh, three there, Peter, James, and John. Those are the same three that Christ invited to walk with him to the top of another high mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration where Christ, where his full glory was displayed. Matthew 17, one, Matthew 17, one, and after six days Jesus take with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment as white as the light. So, out of all the disciples, the 12 disciples, he chooses three to go to the top of this mountain so they could see his magnificent glory. And now, the same three are selected by Christ to go with them to this place of his most passionate, his most intimate prayer. He chooses these three. And that raises the question, why? Why those three? Why out of those 12 disciples, why those three? Well, you can also look at that from another point of view. There was one disciple out of the 12, there was only one, disciple out of the 12, who put his head on the chest of Christ. And that was in John 13, 23, John 13, 23. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. It was one disciple who had his head on the chest of Christ. That was John, that was the disciple John. That's the only time that we have a record that a disciple put his head on the chest of Jesus. I mean, and then so you can say, well, there were other times when other disciples could have put their head on the chest of Jesus, but the only record we have is of John doing that. So 
John makes a decision to put his head on the chest of Jesus. He hears the heartbeat of God. He's the only one. And now, that was his decision. And now John and James and Peter are the ones who are invited to go with Christ up to the Mount of Transfiguration and now to go beyond the other disciples to be very close to Christ when he's making this passionate prayer. These were the three, Peter, James, and John, who had expressed in their lives a particular desire to be closer to Christ, and Christ honors their decision with this special invitation, come with him, to come with him, get closer in his sufferings, in his sufferings. And now we read of a feeling. There's like a, you really get the sense that there's a, there's an attempt to convey to us the feelings that Christ started to feel. And it, it begins in verse 37, where there's this an attempt to tell us what he was feeling. Verse 37 said, he took with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So it's a feeling that's described to us as an intense sorrowful, sorry. He feels so sorry, and he feels a great heaviness, a great burden on him, very heavy. And then he attempts to describe what he's feeling to his three friends here, this Peter, James, and John, in verse 38, verse 38, he saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. So he's describing now the intensity of the feeling that he has of being sorrowful, and he says it's bringing me to a point of death. It's bringing me to a point of death. It's nearly too much for me to uh, endure, he's saying. It's bringing me to a point of death. Reminds me of, of AML leukemia, AML leukemia. AML leukemia is a cancer that there has been among cancers relatively zero progress in curing uh, over the years. In most cases, the diagnosis for of AML leukemia in an adult is a death sentence, with the survival, survival rate that's somewhere between 3% to 7% of an adult. And the same was true for children. But at St. Jude's Hospital and, and uh, another place I forgot now, another children's hospital, they made a decision to try to save the children by giving extremely high doses of chemo to children with AML leukemia, the kind of doses that for sure kills an adult. And when they made that decision, it was known that those very high doses of chemo would kill an adult, they couldn't survive it. But the hope was that children, because they were children, would not die from those high doses of leukemia, they'd be cured, and the bet paid off. The bet paid off as the children were able to live through those doses that would kill an adult, and so AML leukemia is now relatively curable for children, like my grandson, Colton, and like, like um, uh, Don's uh, great-granddaughter, or son, what was it, daughter? I can't remember. Anyway, grandchild. And now with the high doses of chemo, the children have a 65 to 70% survival 
but still very low. For, anyway, so those high doses of chemo cannot be given to an adult with AML leukemia. So my wife could not get those, so she uh, did not survive that AML leukemia. Well, the level of agony that Jesus Christ was talking about here in the Garden of Gethsemane is like a lethal dose of chemo. So when Christ said in verse 38 that he felt exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, he's telling us that the heaviness that he was feeling and the sorrow was suffocating, was suffocating as he felt that. In Luke, we have another description of what Christ was feeling when it says in Luke 22:44, Luke 22:44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So again, the Bible is attempting for us to understand what he was feeling, and the word is used agony, in an agony. And agony means, in the Greek, the word that means a big struggle a giant fight, a conflict, like a hand-to-hand fight, and that's what he felt. So what was it that Christ felt? It was not a bodily pain, he wasn't in pain from any trauma that he experienced, any physical hurt that he experienced, it was all coming from the inside, from the inside, just as he felt this groaning, pain when he stood at Lazarus, grave of Lazarus, and it says in John eleven thirty three, John eleven thirty three, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, was troubled. It was a pain in the spirit that he was experienced, a heaviness like a deep lead weight on his soul, and it was exhausting to him. It was draining so that he could hardly bear up under the load. He expressed it in Psalm 2214, Psalm 2214. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted in the midst of my bowels. Now, we have in the Bible descriptions of the type of feeling that Christ felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is a description of the feeling of being surrounded, just compassed like every place you turn, surrounded with trouble in Psalm 18.4, Psalm 18.4. The sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. He thinks of these ungodly men who are coming to arrest him and he feels like they're coming in like a flood all around him. And just like all those people just happened a few days ago in South Korea when they were in that narrow alley there in their Halloween festival, and they were crushed. And it's unbelievable for us to think, how could 150 people die in an alley by being crushed? But that's what happened. They were trampled to death because there was a flood of people all around them, descending on them, as it says in Psalm 18.5, Psalm 18.5, the sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. And then we just think of some funerals where we've been to where there have been wailing, and it's the type of wailing that pierces right into your soul, and you feel the sorrows of death 
It reminds me of when our, our managing director in Germany, when his uh, 22-year-old son was killed in an auto accident. It was so tragic, and he was buried at, at the a cloister called Benedict Boyen. And we went there, and it was a cold, rainy, dark day. And the way they do it in Germany is you don't drive. You walk behind the coffin. And we walked on muddy ground out to the graveyard there and big hole in the coffin there at the bottom. We were standing around it, and it was so dark outside and so dark inside. And there was such wailing that his mother had black eyes. Both eyes were black because she cried and broke the blood vessels in her eyes from the crying. And what is that? That is what's described in Psalm 116.3. Psalm 116.3, the sorrows of death compassed me and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. That's what he was experiencing. And then there was, surrounding him was terror. It reminds me, I visited a house in Loretto that Americans had built where they were so terrorized of kidnappers that they built in their house an iron room, an iron room where their intention was that if terrorists broke into the house, they could run into this iron room and hopefully get there fast enough. So what is that? That's Psalm 55.4, Psalm 55.4. My heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. That's the terrors of death. Just think of being in a rip current on the beach. A rip current where, in the case of my stepfather, when he took a swim one time out there at the Del Mar Beach one morning, Del Mar State Beach, and the rip currents were too strong and he couldn't resist it and it just carried him out. Thankfully, he was able to get back in. But anyway, just think of being in a rip current that's too strong for you to resist and the feeling of the water going over your head, that whole process. This is what Christ felt. He had this feeling of trouble going over him. Psalm 42, seven, Psalm 42, seven. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. And then just trying to think of, of staying afloat in a rip current and the feeling of being overwhelmed with the water. He had this feeling of being overwhelmed by troubles in Psalm 55.5, Psalm 55.5. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. Psalm 69.2, Psalm 69.2 is a bit of description of what Christ was feeling. I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. I'm come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. And then just think of being overwhelmed and that, that first taste of that sea salt water in your mouth and you have the feeling like trouble is coming into you. That's how Christ felt. Psalm 69.1, Psalm 69.1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. And then just think of that salt water then filling the stomach, filling the stomach, and Christ had this feeling that troubles were filling him in Psalm 69.3, Psalm 69.3. I'm weary of my crying, my throat is dried, Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. And think of the feeling of that salt water filling up the whole body. 
and Christ feeling that, Psalm 88.3, Psalm 88.3, my soul is full of troubles and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. And he said, he already had said that he was heading to feel like Jonah did, Jonah. He said that in Matthew 12.40, Matthew 12.40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What was going on with Jonah during those three days when he was in the whale's belly? Jonah had the feeling down there that he had been cast away by God. He was cast off. Jonah 2.4, Jonah 2.4, Jonah said, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. And the feeling of being cast away from God was what Christ felt when he cried out from the cross in Matthew 27, 46, Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's asking a question, why have you thrown me away? Why have you cast me out? It's a terrible feeling, terrible feeling. It's another terrible feeling, again, and be in the ocean, be swimming, and all of a sudden, you're wrapped with seaweed, with kelp, to the point where the seaweed's like quicksand, you can't get loose, it's pulling you under. And that's the feeling that Jonah had, and that's the feeling that Christ had. But Jonah said in Jonah 2.5, Jonah 2.5, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds are wrapped about my head. And, 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 and this is what led Christ to say in verse 37 that he had that horrible, very heavy feeling. And in verse 36, that he was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. That's what he was feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then why? Why did he have all those feelings like that in the Garden of Gethsemane? The reason was is because as he spoke about the hour, the hour that he spoke about was this time period of his suffering, a special hour that he called in Luke 22:53. Luke 22:53, he said, I was daily with you in the temple. You stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So he calls this hour the hour of the power of darkness. That's what the hour was. It's an hour of darkness. It was a time of darkness. And the reason is, is because the person in whom all darkness is found was there. And that person has a power that we've been delivered from in Colossians 1.13, Colossians 1.13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness. And that person has a kingdom of darkness, Revelation 16.10, Revelation 16.10, his kingdom was full of darkness. And that person has rulers in his kingdom of darkness that are called the rulers of the darkness of this world. And Ephesians 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And that person is Satan. And Christ has moved in his life on earth closer and closer to the time when this is beginning as he enters the Garden of Gethsemane 
he is seeing the ruler of darkness, the prince of this world of darkness, coming now to meet him. And he spoke about that in John 14, 30. John 14, 30, when he said, here and after, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So he says, he sees him coming. He sees him coming, and when he sees him coming in John 14, 30, he's in essence saying, I, I, I see him coming. I see him rallying all his forces of hell. I see him preparing for this great assault on my soul. And he says about that in John 14, 30, John 14, 30, but he sees Satan coming. He says, he has nothing in me. He has zero, zilch, nothing. And in essence, he's saying, I see him coming to meet me in battle, but he's got no secret spies inside of me. He's got no traitors inside of me. I don't have a sinful nature that's going to reach out to meet Satan and say, my friend, He's saying, I have no sinful thoughts that are gonna line up with Satan. I have no wicked heart to welcome him. He's got nothing in me, which is not like us. But when Christ saw Satan and his forces of evil coming to meet him in battle in that garden of Gethsemane there, Christ did not shrink away. He, he, Christ did not, well, let me postpone, can we postpone this battle? He didn't go there. He didn't run away from the battle, but when Christ saw his, 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 when Christ saw them all coming, he said to his disciples in, in verse 46, verse 46, rise, let us be going, for behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. When he said that, rise, let us be going, he is at hand, he was saying much more than while well, Judas is coming, with those words, you let ride, let us be going. Behold, he's at hand. He's in essence saying to himself, I need to get up. I need to rise up and go because the prince of darkness with all of his forces is here now for the battle to start and I'm gonna go out to the battlefield and, and, and this, I'm gonna fight. Soon this battlefield is gonna be a battlefield stained with blood. His blood is gonna be shed in that great battle. But when he said, rise, let us go, he, he, was, he was in essence saying, John 14, 31, John 14, 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. So if, I'm just saying if, if he heard the cries of angels yelling out to him, why, why? Why, why, will you, why you, so pure, so beautiful, so powerful, why you go into this battle alone to die on the battlefield? Why are you doing that? If he had heard those cries from the angels, he would have turned to those weeping angels and said to them, John 14, 31, John 14, 31, I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so, I do, arise, let us go hence. He didn't go into the battle just hoping to win the battle. He went into that battle with a sterling confidence that even though he's gonna die in the battle, he's gonna see his opponent, his devil, beaten. He said in John 12, 31, John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world, now 
shall the prince of this world be cast out. But at this point in time here, his three disciples who were the closest to him and the others who were a little farther away, that was the physical situation there. His three disciples closest to him, and he's got the rest of them a little bit farther away, and then he separates himself even from those three disciples in verse 39, verse 39, he went a little further. It says he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.